the verses we're reading come from Hebrews 4, um, verse 1 to 7. I hear some pages turning. If you have your Bible, open it up. The Hebrews chapter 4, and if you have your phone with the Bible app on it, you can find it there too. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I wrote in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here, and it's good to have all of you watching online. Um, I'm excited today, um, not because I'm preaching, and not because you're even listening. I'm excited because we have a promise from God that where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there. And I'm excited because I believe he wants to speak to each and every one of us through his word. So. I hope you're excited with me, and let's turn now to, in prayer to God and ask him to speak to each one of us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks, and that with your speaking, you bring about a new creation. So Lord, speak to us today and make us new creations in you. Make us people more fully yours. Make us people who are more like Jesus. We pray this in his holy name, amen. Did you ever wonder what God is up to? I mean, right now, this moment, this very moment. We all know that in the past, God created the heavens and the earth. And we know that in the past, God came in Jesus, dying upon the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. We know that. We know that. That's, that's in the past. And we also know that in the future, we have the hope of being with him in heaven. And what's more, we have the blessed hope, the blessed hope of 
Jesus' second coming. And that's in the future. But what about right now? What about the present? What is God doing right now? And this question is a very practical one when you stop to consider all the injustice and persecution, all the sin and sorrow and suffering in this world. I mean, we only have to look at what's happening in our world today with Russia invading Ukraine and all the suffering and devastation and killing and destruction. It's so terrible. And in the midst of all this injustice and sorrow and, and suffering, people ask, where is God? Where is God in the midst of all of this? Paul Tripp writes, and because we don't understand what God has committed himself to in the present, we're tempted to question his wisdom and to doubt his love. Where is God in the midst of all this suffering? What are you doing right now, God? This was surely the problem that also faced the little church of mostly Jewish Christians that the letter to the Hebrew was, was written to. You may remember that they were facing increasing amounts of persecution. They must have been tempted as well, tempted to say, God, God, don't you see the persecution we're going through? Don't you see the trouble that we're in right now? God, where are you? And they must have been tempted, tempted to question God's wisdom and to doubt God's love. And so this writer of the letter to the Hebrews, in the portion that is our reading for today, wrote to these Christians, telling them what God is up to in the present moment, so that they wouldn't lose heart, they wouldn't become cynical, and they wouldn't turn away from God. And the writer of Hebrews explains what God is up to right now by examining two passages of Scripture from the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 2 and in Psalm 95. These are the two passages that he looks at in today's reading. Passages which these Jewish Christians would have been very familiar with. But because we're not quite as familiar as they were, we're going to do a little bit of digging this morning. We're going to be digging into these scriptures so that we can get to the heart of what this writer is saying. The writer of Hebrews speaks mostly about Psalm 95. But before we get to that, in the latter part of verse 3, and verse 4 of today's reading, there's a, a very short but really intriguing mention of Genesis chapter 2. Now, as you all know, the first two chapters of Genesis are the story of creation. The wonders of God's creation are listed there in the order in which he created them. 
We all know that, right? And we also know that after the end of each, after each working day, after the Lord had made his creation, we hear this, we hear this refrain, there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then the second day we hear what God created, and then it says there was evening and there was morning the second day. And then the third day we hear what God created, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And the same for the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. Now the Jewish Christians reading this letter to the Hebrews would have known the story very well. And maybe you're saying, well, hey, I know that story very well too. But there's one aspect here that the writer of the Hebrews wants his readers to know about, and he draws his atten their attention to it. He, he writes, Although God's works were finished from the foundation of the world, he, that is God, has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. The writer is reminding the readers of this letter that in the Genesis account of creation in chapter 2 of Genesis, on the seventh day when God rests, that day does not end in the same way that all the other days end. In fact, there is no mention made of the day of rest ever ending. Let me repeat that. There's no mention made of the seventh day of rest ever ending. Did you ever stop to think about that? That's what the author of Hebrews wants his readers to remember. God's day of rest has no ending. No ending. As one commentator put it, the fact that there is no morning or evening mentioned in that verse, as there was with each of the first six days, means that the seventh day, God's Sabbath rest, still continues. Imagine that. God's rest began with the completion of the cosmos and continues on and on and on Till now. This is where God is today, in the place of rest. It's where he's been since the cosmos was created. And it's where he is right now, in that place of Sabbath rest. So what does that mean anyway? What does that mean anyway? Well, before we look at what it means, let me, let me just point out very quickly what it does not mean. To say that God is in the place of rest does not mean, as one writer put it, that God went on vacation. That's not what it means. God has not been sitting in a lazy boy recliner snoozing for the past millennia, saying, what I, wonder, I wonder what I should do next. No, that's not it. Not at all. When God had finished his creation, 
Do you remember how Genesis says he saw that it was good? And not only good, but it was very good. Everything was set to work as it was meant to work. With God in charge, God in control. God was sovereign over everything. And so, you see, God could rest. He could rest knowing that his sovereignty over everything was established. God's rest means that he reigns supreme over everything. But we need to remember that this rest, as one writer put it, is a working rest. For although God reigns supreme over everything in his creation, and he has established the place of rest where he is, still the enemies of God, namely sin and death, still prevent people everywhere from entering God's kingdom and enjoying God's rest. Says Paul Tripp, what is God doing right now? He will not sit down. He will not relent until sin and death are completely defeated and we are finally delivered. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 25 and 26. In that passage, we discover how God is dealing with sin and death. It says, for he must reign, that is Christ, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So God is busy. God is busy in his rest. He is busy in his rest, calling people, calling people to come, inviting people to come and be a part of his rest. And once they join him in his rest, he's preparing these people, he's preparing us for our role in his future kingdom in that day when sin and death are completely and finally ended. God calls us to join him. God is in that place of rest right now, and he calls us to join him there in his rest. Remember what Jesus said? Come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In his rest, we find rest. As one writer put it, once you join him in his rest, you can stop worrying. You can stop worrying about whatever has been bothering you. You can stop fretting about whether you will endure as a Christian. You can stop being afraid of what the world will do to you. You can face the prospect of loss in this life of suffering, and even of death. For ours is the God of the Sabbath. You can rest in his saving purpose for you. In the face of life's troubles, and let's face it, troubles come to us all, don't they? In the face of life's troubles, this is the rest 
which God offers to us, to join him where he is right now. Paul said, if God is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? What can the world do to us? They can do everything that they want to us, but it won't matter because God is in control. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is sovereign and all is well. And so Kent Hughes writes, we can share, that we can share God's personal rest, the rest he enjoys. That ought to set our hearts a-racing. That ought to set our hearts a-racing. I like that. I like that line. Are your hearts racing? Are you excited to join God in his rest? No worries. No more fear. A secure future, no matter what happens to you. That's the kind of rest that he offers to each and every one of us. But the question remains, how do we enter this rest? How do we get this kind of rest? Because maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I'm a believer, but I don't have that kind of rest. I'm, I'm terrified of all kinds of things. I'm worried about a million things. How do we get that kind of rest? How do we enter that kind of rest? Well, the writer of Hebrews uses Psalm 95 to show his readers and us the answer to this very question. The part of that psalm that he quotes is a warning. In that psalm, and Pastor Marvin mentioned that to us last Sunday, in the first part, in chapter 3, that spoke of Psalm 95. God reminds the people not to do as their forefathers did when he called them and led them out of slavery in Egypt. God was leading his people, the people of Israel, to a land of plenty, a land of of milk and honey, a promised land where he told them they would find rest from their labors of slavery in Egypt. He promised them this rest. But the writer of Hebrews is pointing out to his readers that the promised land that God offered his people, the rest that God offered his people, the people of Israel, didn't happen. The warning of Psalm 95 is that just as the people of Israel did not enter the promised land of God's rest, so, says the writer of Hebrews, so the readers of Hebrews, and that includes us, by the way, can miss out on God's rest. Did you catch that? Just as the people of Israel missed out on God's rest, we too can miss out on God's rest. In chapter 4, verse 2 of today's reading, the writer of Hebrews says, For good news came to us just as to them. The people of Israel had God's promise of rest, just as the readers of the letter to the Hebrews, 
And just as we here today also have God's promise of rest. But, says the writer of Hebrews, the message they heard, that is, the message that God's people heard, did not benefit them. They heard the message, they heard the good news, they heard the promise, but no benefits. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Friends, it takes faith. And faith is not simply hearing the gospel with your ear. It's not simply acknowledging, oh yes, Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is the Savior. Oh yes, Jesus died for my sins. That's not enough. It takes more than that. New Testament scholar Leon, Mar Leon Morris wrote this. He said, faith here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, get this, is the attitude of trusting God wholeheartedly. Trusting God wholeheartedly. Not just believing in him with your head, but trusting him. Putting your life in his hands and saying, God, I'm yours. It's trusting him wholeheartedly. Trusting Jesus with our lives is how we enter God's rest. I don't know if you've heard the name of John Payton. He was a missionary to the New Hebrides, islands in the Pacific. And part of his task there in the New Hebrides was to translate the Bible into the native language of the people on the islands there. But as he was doing the translation, he came across a significant problem. The New Hebrides Islanders had no word, no word to translate in their language to translate the word faith. Imagine, imagine trying to, to translate the Bible if you didn't have a word for faith. And it was really a problem, and Peyton didn't know what he was going to do. But one day some hunters were returning from the bush and as they laid down in their hammocks to rest, they said, oh, how good it is to stretch out. How good it is to stretch yourself out here and rest. And as soon as Peyton heard that, he said, yes, that's it. That's it. That's the word for faith. That's what faith is. It's, it's faith is allowing the weary sinner to stretch out and rest on Jesus Christ. We find rest by refreshing ourselves in Jesus, stretching out in Jesus. And so Peyton's translation of John 3.16 was, For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever stretches out on him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Will you stretch out on Jesus? Will you stretch out on Jesus? 
Good, because that's what we need. We need to be stretching out on Jesus. We need to put the weight of sin, whatever it may be, that's on our shoulders. We need to throw that onto Jesus. We need to put all our trust in him. Will you trust Jesus with your money? Will you trust Jesus with your children? Will you trust Jesus with your life? Good. Because trusting Jesus is how we enter God's rest. When he was a young man, before he trusted Jesus, Augustine had a prayer he used to pray. His prayer was this, Lord, make me pure and chaste, but just not yet. (laughs) I think a lot of us are like that. We say, oh, yes, Lord, I'll trust you. I'll trust you with all these things, but just not now, just not yet. When I'm old, when I'm sick and I'm dying, then, then I'll trust you, Lord. But the writer of Hebrews, in today's reading, shouts out an emphatic no. No to procrastination. No to putting off today or putting off to tomorrow what you can do today. He shouts out a loud no to waiting. As the people of Israel discovered, and as Psalm 95 makes clear, There are consequences, friends. There are consequences to not trusting the Lord today. Their consequences were severe. They were excluded. The people of Israel were excluded from God's rest. They never did, that first generation never did enter the promised land. They never did enter God's rest. And friends, I'm here this morning to tell you, because our scripture reading makes this very clear, the very same thing can happen to us. The time to act is now. Today, says the writer of Hebrews. Verse 7 of today's reading puts it this way. It says, he that is God, appoints a certain day. You know what day that is that he appoints? Today. That's right. This is God's appointed day. Right now, right this moment, God is calling you and me to trust him, to trust him completely and to enter his rest. As Psalm 95 puts it, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I don't know if you can hear it or not, but in these words of Psalm 95, there's an urgency. There's an urgency here in the voice of the writer of Hebrews. He begins today's reading by saying, let us fear, literally, Let us be afraid. Why? 
You see, the writer of Psalm 95 was shaking. He was shaking like a leaf. Lest some people turn down God's offer of rest. And he concludes over and over again by saying, Do it now. Do it today. Don't wait. Can you hear the desperation in his voice? What he's pointing out here, and what's at stake here, you see, is nothing less than the eternal salvation of our souls. Do you see? When we say we don't want to enter God's rest right now, we're not, we're not just turning down an invitation. We're turning down God. We're rejecting God. Rejecting God himself. We're saying, God, I don't want to enter your rest. I don't want you. I want to do my own thing. I'll do it my own way. I'll do it in my own time. To not enter his rest right now, to not enter is to not trust him now. And that's an act of rebellion, friends. An act of rebellion against God. God is in that place of rest right now. And he invites us, he invites us to join him there today. Today. So that he can prepare us for that future time that lies ahead. That time when sin and suffering and death are no more. But the scary thing is, if we, like the people of Israel, harden our hearts and choose to do our own thing, we will not enter his rest. If you're not at rest with God right now, let me put it bluntly, your soul is in peril. The message of today's scripture is simple. Right now, the Lord is calling us to join him. So confess your sin. Cast your life upon Jesus. Stretch out on him. And enter his rest. Today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you that you are a patient and a loving God. And in the midst of all this, Lord, we pray, we pray that you would come now. Lord, if there's anyone here who has not given their life fully and completely to you, let today be the day of salvation. Lord, let this be the day when we commit ourselves fully, completely, and wholeheartedly, trusting you with all that we have and all that we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.